Welcome to the Power Players by Orgis, featuring solar and energy storage leaders and their critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise. My name is Cynthia Katib. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. So welcome everybody. Today on Power Players, we've got Steve Hanawalt. Steve is a co-founder and EVP at Power Factors. Steve's been in the energy in- industry for like 40 years, <laughs> starting in a gas-fired IPP industry way back when, Steve, I hear I hear that's the case. Yeah. Uh, you were overseeing performance optimization teams, and, and then you moved into renewables as the global vice president of O&M at SunPower. Mm-hmm. And uh, you left there, I think, around 2012, when SunPower yeah. had the biggest portfolio in the country, right? Right. Um, and then at that point, you started Power Factors, you co-founded Power Factors. And uh, today, you guys are, you know, the largest in the industry, and you provide asset management performance and and, uh, and optimization software that helps owners and operators manage, is this right, 110 gigawatts? 110 gigawatts. That's a huge number, yeah. Steve. It is huge. All clean energy assets all over the world? All clean energy. Well, Steve. Grown really quickly. Welcome to Power Factors. You are the OG. You're the GOAT <laughs> of this space. And I'm happy to have yeah. you here today. So hey, great. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. I'm really pleased to be here with you on Power Players. It's a real honor. We go way back. Uh, I think we're going to have a great exchange of ideas here. I, I hope so. And I hope the people who are watching agree. Listen, I you know, um, you and I talked a little bit about this when we were prepping, right? I know Woodmac came out with a report recently, and there were some yeah. things there that some people agreed with, other people don't. Often from the from different perspectives. Sure, sure. Um, one of the one of the things in there on your side of sort of the industry, it, it said that an end to end solution that really solved all the problems today didn't e- exist. Right. Um, I know that you you sort of mildly disagree with that. I, I tend to agree with it. But yeah. I think the question is, is is what is an end-to-end solution even made up of, right? Because right. I think the agree and the disagree come not from not from people really disagreeing. I think yeah. it comes from people looking at it differently. So get yeah, us yeah. all on the same sheet. Okay. What yeah. Matt talked about and what incorporates an end-to-end solution today? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. And by the way, I, I do tend to agree with him. <laughs> my, my vendor hat would say, oh, no, we've got it all, but that's not true. Really, um, having traveled the industry a long time, as you said, Michael, and being in these various... Uh, I didn't say a long time. You look great. Long, long time. Long. <laughs> yeah. Being in each of these segments of the business, uh, there is a lot to the platform uh, functionality that needs to be added in, Right. And I think we'll talk about this throughout our time together, but you know, where we are really strong, the industry is strong, is in the performance analytics, the monitoring, the reporting, and I think uh, especially power factors, if I can say that, in the integrated CMMS solution, an enterprise asset management system. But there is so much more that needs to be added. And the reason is there's so much more to be added to the platform to meet your needs as an operator and the owner's needs is that as uh, solar and wind supplant or displace more and more fossil generation, 
we will be responsible for matching in real time supply and demand and all of the ancillary services that is being done by fossil plants right now, rotating equipment. And that really catapults our industry into a whole new realm of operational control. And that's where it gets really tricky. That's where you now have to start not only thinking about next day generation, but intraday, intra-hour, every five minutes. Settling, committing, dispatching, it gets very, very complex. And our operational performance systems need to feed into trading and settlement systems so that scheduling coordinators and trading desks can arbitrage in the marketplace in real time as we start incorporating storage into the picture. So it gets very complex. Well, you just described something that's that's pretty big, right? Yeah, very big. That, that as far as I can tell, no one has in one wrapped product. So no. let's uh, let's break it down a bit. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's assume that I'm an IPP, which right. which we are, by the way. So it's not a hard assumption. There you go. So let's assume for a minute that Origins is an IPP. Yeah. And we're trying to build, you know, this capability from the owner's perspective to be able right. to deliver power to our off takers. Okay. Right. And let's presume for a moment traditional PPA structure where okay. you have an off taker that's been identified. Right. You know, no merchant tail, none of this other stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. What are the pieces that, yeah, that, yeah. that I need to put in place to, to right. make my business work, to make those assets right. work? And what right. and what do they need to be able to do? Right, right. I'm going to describe this as a pyramid where the bottom, the base, is really what we need as a power supplier from solar wind into a PPA. If you think about it, and maybe a few years ago, we would have thought this is very complicated, but in the future, it's not going to be that complicated relative to where we're going, Michael. And that is, you really need a reliable uh, data acquisition system to pull data from the plant sensors, SCADA data acquisition system. You need to be able to consume that and cleanse that data so that you can generate pretty basic analytics, reports, and events about the health and well-being of that asset, and then probably couple it with a computerized maintenance management or EAMS. I think that will build the core data infrastructure that one needs to be successful with a long-term offtake agreement with a known energy price, and basically whatever the sun or wind gives you, you're gonna generate as much as you can and make as much revenue in a cost-effective manner. That's pretty basic, and we can talk about where we need to go, but that's kind of the bottom the foundation of our pyramid. So for me, coming from an operations background, I I really, at the first step I kind of go back to is the CMMS, that maintenance yeah. management system where we're logging the time, the guys in the field are logging all the work orders that they're right. doing. And that data and the data that's flowing from the site itself are the two foundational pieces that I see to build on. Yeah. How, how do you guys see sort of that CMMS? I think you guys have F, uh, FSM, right? Yeah. Uh, that's your internal product. Why did you? Why do you see an internal product versus an external? Yeah. You know, do I, as an owner, should I go get you know a CMMS that I think is best in class, like a big one like Maximo, big IBM, or something mm -hmm. like that, and try to integrate that? Like, how do you guys see that piece of it? Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for throwing a softball right over the plate. Right? <laughs> um, we be, we believe very strongly that a purpose-built uh, CMMS for the solar 
wind industry is a necessity because general purpose solutions aren't going to really tease out the reliability analytics that one can use to move towards a condition-based or reliability-centered maintenance strategy, which we know from history in all industries is the most cost-effective way to run a large capital asset. So that's number one. The second thing which you mentioned is if you think about the operational performance data and the CMMS data, they're two different data types. The operational performance data is time series data. So you get a value from a sensor with a, a timestamp, but the CMMS data is transactional data. So they, they are not the same kind of data. So what does that mean? To really tease out the uh, reliability analytics so that you can understand where your failure modes are and do something about them to do true root cause analysis, you have to mash up time series and transactional data. And really the only way to do that is to have a common asset registry with a common failure taxonomy, meaning we categorize and name failures in a consistent way between the monitoring application and the maintenance application. That's what we do at Power Factors. That we think is very, very key to be able to give you that incremental value that you need to know, hey, where am I having failures? What can I do about those failures? How do I increase my uptime? What about all like the, the, the parts, the equipment, the, the timing of the people? Yeah. And I've got, a, I've got a bill for that time, depending on, on my contracts, whether that's pre-contracted or subscribed subscription service, or whether it's yeah. subscribed or not yet contracted and it has a different rate, like that all has to tie into Oracle, yeah. SAP, or some other system. Like, that's right. How do you do that? I mean, like, yeah. you've got a CMMS, then you've got this monitoring platform and overlay, and that's now right. you've got this whole management of the of the actual transactions that happen on the back yeah. end. Like, piece that together for me. Yeah. So. In data database parlance, we talk about what's called the system of record. And Power Factors is not trying to be your financial system of record. We're not trying to be your general ledger accounting and finance program. We're never going to do that. We don't want to do that. Go to Oracle, go to SAP, go to Microsoft Dynamics, go to whoever. That's fine. That's where you're housing the dollar signs and the dollar sign unit pricing for parts and so on. But over in our system is where we are the system of record about quantities of consumption of parts against work and work orders. That flanging up or marriage has to happen through an API, an integration which seamlessly allows data to flow back and forth between the financial system and the maintenance system. When a part is pulled, inventory decrements over in the financial system. Pricing applied, markup applied, invoice to customer apply. That we believe is the right way. We're not trying to be everything to everyone, but we're trying to be really good in areas that have to do with, uh, you know, asset management around renewable power plants. Yeah. I think it makes sense. You, you gotta, you, you have to build this foundation and then sort of build on top of it. Mm -hmm. So in thinking about that, and, and even what we just said, which we've described as the simple basic yeah that's you know, the basics is hard to put together like it's yeah. hard to go get the different pieces parts and assemble that's them right. without without somebody like power factors who's sort of pre-assembling and block and tackling that and providing those apis yeah. out of the gate um 
And I think that's why a lot of the industry has moved away from, and you know this too, in the early days, everybody built their own solution and they would right. go get this solution and they would go get that one and they'd go with that one and they would hire some software guys and they would cobble yeah. it together exactly. uh, because there wasn't anything else available. Right. But today there right. are products that are available in the market that get, if not all the way, most of the way there. Yeah. But the industry's changing and there's yeah, new challenges is. coming along. So let's talk about some of those new challenges because in my view, it, it changes things dramatically. And I want to know, yeah, for sure, I want to know how Power Factors is approaching it. But I also just want to understand how you see it and where do you think the industry needs to go to really deal with it. So the, the next, the new, the new kit on the block, yeah. you know, batteries, right? right. Battery Absolutely. systems are coming with their own management platform and software from the integrators, right? But then you have this system that's already there and the problem that yeah. IPPs and owners and operators have is how do I get these things to integrate? Yeah. When, you know, who's if there's an end-to-end -end solution and I bolt on a new thing, who's, you know, is there somebody bridging that over? Like how do right. I do right, right. So talk to me about batteries. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. When you think about a battery, you think, oh, it's so simple. It stores energy. Well, <laughs> it is simple in some ways, but from an operational perspective. And from a software perspective, it's very complicated. And the reason is, is that batteries introduce this concept that traders call optionality, meaning it gives them financial options that they did not have. And the biggest one, as you know, Michael, is arbitrage. Arbitrage is where I don't have to make and deliver. I can make, store, wait to the right time price, deliver. That creates a much more complicated solution uh, because now we are having to really run optimization solutions in real time to understand what is the best dispatch scenario given this future price strip, what we think, what we notice I said what we think, not what we know, what we think the energy prices will be, and how am I going to dispatch my solar system, my battery system, together as a hybrid system together to generate the greatest profit. This becomes a very, very complex problem to solve and no one is really doing it yet. What are we doing right now? Well, as you said, Michael, we've added a new asset class called the battery storage system into our platform. So right now we're just doing the blocking and tackling about pulling in that data, cleansing the data and doing some basic analytics. That's where we are right now. Where we need to get to is eventually downstream, closer to the real-time markets to supply the scheduling coordinators, the asset managers, the operators, and the trading desk with the information they need to do their job. We haven't even started talking about that yet. Well, and you know, I think we'll get to the conversation about arbitrage and trading and scheduling in yeah. just a moment, if you don't mind. Circling no back to, you know, you got to get it to the dumbest level for me. You know, <laughs> you got you to gotta bring it down. Super dumb, guy, super dumb for this guy. So right. I just want to be able to have one product, yeah. right? Remember, I'm the IPP. I just want to be able to ha have right. one product that I can see what's going on in the batteries. And today, the batteries are being delivered by a myriad of battery suppliers, integrators, right with different management systems. They're owning those management systems. They're owning the access to them. Right. The APIs aren't there. So now in my operations center, 
which has been hard enough to build. Now I have yeah. to figure out how to manage multiple other platforms. Right, right. So I went and got Power Factors or I went and got yeah. you know some other platform to integrate it all. And now I have this thing that's like blowing that whole thing up. Right, right. So let's how, talk about that. Let's, how do we deal with that? Yeah, let's talk about that. So first of all, you as owner and operator need to be able to tell yourself and to your customers, hey, I'm taking good care of your battery. I'm maintaining it, I'm operating, and I'm delivering what you need to achieve your financial goals with that battery system. So as we add that battery system into our platform, as you first said, now we're dealing with proprietary EMSs, proprietary BMSs, battery EMS. EMS. energy management system is an EMS. It right. looks out at the battery management system as well as the inverters and all the other ancillary equipment that comes with the BESS. As you can imagine, especially our friend Elon, they're trying to keep this stuff hidden from the owners and operators because there's secret sauce in there. Well, the problem with locking off some of the internal math and analytics and artificial intelligence that's going on is that people like Origus are not seeing glimpses into some of the issues that are helping, would help you know when to uh, do maintenance, condition-based maintenance. So what Power Factors is having to do is we're having to literally get into the bowels of these battery management, energy management systems and get all of the data. Don't hide anything from us vendors so that we can do our own set of analytics and then deliver that up to you, owners and operators. So you have a really good understanding. First of all, is my BESS working properly? Is it needing to be maintained? Is it delivering what they said it will? Is it meeting and staying within the warranty requirements so you don't violate the warranty. So that's the next step up the information pyramid is taking care of the basic operational performance management around this new asset class. Well, and, and, and frankly, just at the most basic level, I need to know, is it operating within its parameters? Have I gotten the maintenance done? I need to integrate it with my maintenance management system yeah. so I can track all that and report it so that right. I can meet contractual obligations. From a safety perspective, I need to know, is it run? are the temperatures all running the way they need to? Is the HVAC system right. running? I need that EMS and that BMS to tell me if I need to call the other EMS yeah. uh, to arrive to like to deal with something, you know, and to get my guys away from the thing, right? right. So right. everybody's jumping straight to arbitrage and these more complicated things. I just need to know yeah, the basics operating if we're doing the things we need to, we're meeting our contractual obligations, and I want to know that it's not burning to the ground. Right, right. And I think, you know, we didn't talk about why did power factors come to existence. You're kind of touching on it indirectly, Mike, and that is we felt that an independent hardware and software agnostic platform was needed for the industry. Because over the years, not surprisingly, the OEMs kind of want to keep the special stuff to themselves. One, because there's warranty risk for them by opening up their uh, their IP. And second is it's their IP and they don't wanna share it with anybody. So we really need to get in there and understand what's going on at a deep level. I believe, by the way, that we independent vendors can are in a better position to understand potential thermal events and thermal runaway 
than the battery management people themselves because we have the whole picture and we're doing long-term trending around the condition of these batteries. So there are some benefits of having an independent agnostic platform. And just like we're doing with the other solar and wind vendors, feeding all of that up into a cloud-based system. Yeah. Are you looking at that for standalone storage as well? I know you guys are in both wind and solar, right? right. Both of which benefit because of their intermittency of their production. Yeah. The differing levels. But nonetheless, both of them benefit from storage systems. But storage in and of itself as a standalone asset is also yeah. coming to the forefront today. Is yeah, that for you? Yeah, we're doing both. Most of our customers, quite frankly, are doing hybrid, mostly solar plus storage, some wind plus storage. But we do have some customers who are storage only and they're selling into ancillary markets and we're having to provide the basic O&M performance management functions and this whole maintenance function you talked about. There's some similarities between solar maintenance and battery maintenance, but there's some real differences, as you know, as a service provider. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're trying to figure that stuff out, uh, you know, just the by curing the intermittency, by being able to store and release power at any time, that also pushes us to 24-7 operations. So suddenly the guy that's in the operations center at night actually yeah. has something to do yeah. other than go through the documents and the paperwork from the day prior and prep for the next right. day and wait for somebody to call, yeah. you know. He's got a battery system that may be responding to some deliverable. So yeah. let's talk about a couple of those deliverables, okay. which move the complexity layer up a little. Ancillary right. services. Right. So we're seeing more and more, and, and you know, this need for things like frequency regulation, voltage regulation. You know, we've always had sort of a reactive power, but not just that. Like, you, you know, pick a different term. You know you know, spinning reserve power right, available, right. some percentage of the battery that's available at all times to help deal with these right. with these issues, these ups and downs that happen is they bring other large generators on and off the grid because right. those spinning reserves have momentum, right? And they kind of come in and they come out. They don't just come on and off. Right. These electronic devices come on at full power in a fraction of a second. Exactly. And so they require so that create that's both a benefit but also a complicating factor. That's and so right. and then when I think about it from a economic perspective now, if I'm an IPP mm -hmm. and I'm trying to sell the power off that battery, if yeah. I'm maintaining capacity on the battery to absorb power to be able to manage right. do that voltage regulation, I have to be able to absorb power that's on the grid and then release yeah. it back in a steady state or do frequency regulation, something like that, or if I'm if I'm trying to provide reactive power, where I have to have some of the reserve. How do I optimize that financially? And who is doing that math? Yeah, I have no idea. So tell me yeah. what you guys are doing and what the industry is doing to get us there, because that is a that's a much more complicated now view. Like what? Yeah. Are we doing? yeah, it's very it's very complicated. You kind of said this indirectly, Michael, but for our audience, you know, when you have rotating equipment, turbines. Uh, gas turbines, steam turbines, traditional fossil power, not only are they spinning, but they have a lot of stored energy in them. It's yeah. called the mass, the kinetic energy. And, you know, a long time ago, we chose not Edison's DC, but alternating current. And when we did that, we have current that alternates 60 cycles here in the US, 50 cycles in, uh, in Europe and so on. 
how does a battery system, which is a DC product, start forming this nice little sine wave? Well, we have to do it because that's how we built our grid. And we're going to have to meet this rotating equipment. We're going to have to mimic what the turbines of the past from fossil do. That creates a bunch of ancillary products, as you said, frequency, voltage, spinning reserve, uh, some additional capacity type of place. Every single one of those operational things that the ISOs need to run the grid, battery storage, wind and solar will have to create. So that creates a very complicated operational problem, one, for you, the operator, and two, for the scheduling coordinator and the trader, which of these products do I sell at which time? And if I deplete this, does that mean I won't be able to meet an obligation under an ancillary service contract an hour from now? Yeah. So there's risk too, right? Because ancillary products, you get paid to do good things and you get penalized for doing bad things. Again, you can see now I have this very complex optimization problem, a very complex operational problem. And what if the market, we heard, we know what happened in Texas a while ago, right? Prices went up 10 did, times. Did something happen in Texas? Yeah, it did. Are you sure? Prices spoke. I was like, here. Like, <laughs> what was it? Two or $3,000 a megawatt hour. Oh my so God. You might say, you know what? Pardon my French. Screw the warranty. I'm going to give it all I can get. And I'm going to supply that. The fossil plant went down. I'm going to meet it with my battery system. I'm going to go out of warranty. There may be times where that is the right decision to sacrifice the warranty and to cycle that more than you are allowed to do certain things. But if you're not armed with the right information, you're betting the farm, right? It's very critical information. And there's times to bet the farm. There's times not to bet the farm. This is, this is information, right? This is stuff right here that tells us that. The equipment isn't going to tell us that. We have to look at the complete picture, do the optimization, say, yes, go for it. Now is the time to do another cycle, even if it maybe violates warranty. Sorry, I said that in front of you, Michael, but that's some of the things SCs and traders are going to have to think about in the future. And, and, and just as a side note, we never violate no, warranties without not talking to the owner first. Because they're not our warranties. And getting and no it one in should. And No one should, right, ever. No, absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. But you're right. There's times when it may be the lesser of the evils, particularly when you have a situation like that where lives are on the line. Right, safety, Literally. right? For yeah. safety reasons, you have to supply the grid. That's right. So, yeah, it, it gets very complex with all these different products and then figuring out which one to dispatch at which time not knowing the future pricing, but also having commercial obligations. I basically have a box that I can run in, but I have a lot of degrees of freedom of how I can run. And that is a classic, what's called mixed integer linear program optimization problem, which I have a little bit of that in my past. I, I was always, I always go by the don't do math in public. Because uh, <laughs> uh, you just don't want people to know how, how dumb you are. I'm there. talking about me now. <laughs> I don't know what you just said a minute ago. I'm going to pretend like I'm going to nod sagely like I know what you mean. And then later I'm going to go look it up. And I encourage anybody else listening to this. There you to go. But look, you know, this is a hard problem, right? right. The, the battery structure, the warranties aren't standardized. 
yeah. the, the management systems aren't standardized yet. The PPA requirements, the how we're pricing and, and the priority of ancillary services isn't just changing ISO to ISO, right. it's changing off taker to off taker. Yeah. Um, the response time requirements are different. I mean, you know, so as an IPP, when I'm looking at this and, I, and I'm trying to solve for this problem, it is a mess out yeah, there. It is a mess. So how do I untangle the mess? Yeah. Well, the right answer always, 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 which you mentioned is it starts with safety. So first, we operate our assets safely and within the warranty and operational limits. So one, I have to make sure that those limits are known to the software platform and then communicated to the right people in the organization. So we like to use what we call, Michael, profile-based um, software, or you know, it's built to solve specific problems of specific people in the organization in their specific area, role-based, right? So when we are looking at issues that people should be aware of. We call these events. Events are usually an operational anomaly or a commercial anomaly, meaning you could be in violation. Like if you keep doing that, you will be in violation of the battery um, state of charge or cycle limit. Who needs to know that? Well, the operator needs to know that, probably the asset manager, probably the scheduling coordinator just about to commit that one again in the same day and violate so role-based software says, what are the things that I have responsibility for? When do I break outside of those limits that can get me into trouble both operationally and commercially? And then we do what we call exception-based management. We subscribe to those things and then we communicate those types of events to the specific role in the organization who needs to know about it. A technician doesn't need to know about it what I just said. However, a technician needs to know, hey, it's we, we think we're seeing a thermal excursion. You need to get out to the site right away, right? So again, this concept of events in different roles and then subscribing to a messaging bus that tells you what you need to know to do your job, I think is very key because there's so much information flowing through these systems. If you don't break it down by what people are responsible for and what they have control over, and feed them that kind of information, then you have to resort to our old way of doing things, which we call eyeball on the eye, eyeballs on the asset monitoring, right? A man Looking in the at screens. Yeah, flip through screens until I find something. That's very inefficient. It's very costly. And it's not the way to do things anymore. Well, and you sort of bring up a problem and, and you pivoted a little bit into what you guys offer there versus what the solution is. Uh, and, you know, one of my observations of Power Factors as a product today is that it's it's near real time, but it's not real time data. Yeah. So now we're we're feeding in, and I'm just going to put it out there. You know, you know, the, there's a need in the industry to do all the things that you just talked about. You've got to get to real time, right? To meet the response criteria that the grid is really requiring of these new assets. Yeah. Yeah. How do we get there? Because because I'm not there yet. The industry's <clears> not there yet. Power Factors isn't there yet. No. I don't know who is. No, we're not there yet. And that's a very fair observation. Um, I'm not a software engineer. I'm a mechanical engineer that knows a lot about energy and all. 
I know a bit about software, but there's this concept of a multi. -threaded. I know a lot about software, but I appreciate the opinion. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. There's this concept of a multi-threaded application, meaning I can feed the application various pieces of data at different time constants. And most of our time constant that we deal with in the wind industry it used to be every 15 minutes. Yeah. Data was acquired and then averaged and said, here's your 15 minute this, here's your 15 minute that. You know, that's okay usually for the time constant of regular PPA driven O&M. But 15 minute averages does not work in a real time market. So then people said, let's go to five minutes and that's what we're doing in solar. And that's fine too, under a PPA when you're not doing operational control. But when you are doing operational control, you must have second data, even sub-second data on certain things like breaker positions, relays, uh, safety interlocks, and so on. So what we found with ours, and I'll just generalize, because I think others are seeing this too, is the time series data that we're typically using, five minute, five minute averages for digital and analog points is sufficient for most regular operations, but it's not sufficient for the control room. It's not sufficient for the trading desk and for intra-hour trading and settlement. So we are now taking a subset of the data, and it's a very small subset, Michael. It's maybe five to 2% of the data, you know, revenue meter data, et cetera, and we are feeding that through at a much higher frequency. So we might pull some of the data that needs to be real time every second or every subsecond, and the rest of the data we just ping the site and pull that data up every five minutes and get the aggregated five minute value. Um, and that's how you have to do it. And the reason is ultimately, what is the constraint? The constraint is the bandwidth of your internet connection. You can move up from, you know, whatever to T1, et cetera, but those are getting very, very costly. And so we found that redesigning our back end to be able to pull two threads, one at the current time constant, one at a much higher frequency, we believe, and I think others in the industry are seeing, is the right way to start truly delivering real-time information to operations and to the trading platforms. Well, that that answers part of my question. Is it is it there yet? Is it available in the market yet? Really? I I do not believe it's available yet. I think we are planning on having it out in 2022. And maybe you're going to ask this, so about preempt it. That's just the start. Now we have to think about how far downstream do we want to play as an asset performance management platform? Do we really want to get into unit commitment and economic dispatch? Do we really want to get into trading? Do we really want to get into settlements of trades? Or do we want to be very strong at integration with partners up and down the food chain, the value chain, who are best in class? To be honest, Michael, we are still sorting through those questions. We're talking to customers like Origis and others about what do you see as the best solution? We might go way downstream, even into operational control. We're still pondering the best way to serve you guys in that way. Yeah, so let's go ahead and, and go where you've been trying to go this whole time and let's talk about arbitrage and trading desks and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, sort of QSEs, you know, scheduling entities, yeah. we call it queasies. 
Yeah. You know, we, we do a lot of work with Tenasca uh, yeah. because, you know, once you get into arbitrage and trading, you have to put up a lot of, of money to backstop because the, the financial right. implications become quite serious very quickly. Yeah. Um, and they have their own sort of operating parameters. They're, they're communicating directly with the ISOs, the grids, yeah. you know, here in ERCOT, there's some very specific communications and requirements around scheduling that are different from other parts of the country. Right. Cal ISO has their own, you know, and, and, and so on. Um, and so what about that, right? That's a whole other level of complexity because it's not just about taking the power from the solar or the wind, it's, or even having a standalone entity. It's also going to be about using the, the inverters that are part of the best system to take power off the grid at one time, charge it, convert it to DC, charge it, you know, and then sell it at a profit again right. while you're maintaining the number of cycles and contemplating the losses that you get from that double conversion. Yeah. So that, that asset sort of really becomes a 24 hour asset. That's that's once we get enough of them, we'll really equalize and smooth out the grid right. as a whole, right? That's the promise of the technology. Right. right. But as of right now, operationally, we're not really connecting those two sides. We're contracting that other piece yeah. because it's a complex piece. And because we don't have a data management system that we can easily use to integrate those in order to make it so that we're able to do that really effectively for our owners, right? We have to go to another party. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you see? And, I would, and I'll be honest, I, you know, we would love to bring it in-house eventually. I think a lot sure. of ISPs would. Sure. They would like to control their own trades. But how yeah. do you do that given that context? Where do you see this going? Because that take all the stuff we talked about a minute ago and layer this complexity on top. And right. it's, it, is, it is significant because it, yeah, it's a big financial piece as well. Yeah. So let's go back to my little uh, pyramid idea. And we're marching towards optimization. We've acquired data. We've cleansed it. We've generated events, analytics, and so on. As we move up this value chain and we're extracting more value out of our asset. Uh, as you properly said, Michael, we're getting closer and closer to real time. And we need to now start thinking about with all of the assets that I have available, let's just say, see, so far you and I have really only been talking about plant-based optimization. But let's say I have a portfolio in the ERCOT region, and that portfolio is made up of some wind plants, some solar plants, some hybrid plants, and maybe a gas peaker meaning a, a peaking gas turbine, which I can spool up quickly, right? When I have that entire portfolio of assets, each one has its own operational and performance characteristic. If I feed it this much fuel, it can do this, right? Fuel could be sun, it could be wind. In the traditional world of fossil generation, that's called your unit commitment and economic dispatch program. That program is this thing I was talking about, the MILP, that is a very complex optimizer and it knows what my generation assets can do at any given moment in time and what the cost of doing that is. So that has to get fed with what? It has to get fed with good real-time data. Weather data, uh, maintenance, is some equipment out of service or in service? In other words, is my equipment available? Can it operate throughout its entire range? And what is its performance over its entire range? That comes from our APM. So whether we actually participate in terms of adding application layer as we go up this pyramid, or we just become the data pump, 
the quality of the information is directly proportional to the answers that come out to optimal dispatch. That is a given. Anybody would agree with me on that. So we're trying to build high quality data higher up the stack because higher up the stack, the data has more value. Whether we eventually build UCED, Unit Commitment Economic, Economic Dispatch Products, or we feed that into a partner's platform. But that is really becoming the key. There are tools out there in the traditional industry that do that for traditional assets. There isn't one yet for our world, Michael, of solar, wind, and storage. It's a brave new world. Only big vendors will jump in. It's going to be a huge investment, a huge R&D cost. And the cost of doing it wrong is really high because now that vendor may have some exposure in the marketplace if they don't solve the problem properly. So there's a lot of things to think about. We haven't even talked yet about now I have to pass it off to the trading organization. Now I have to do every five minute settlements to see if what I said I was going to deliver actually got delivered and how much I get paid for it. You can see it gets very, very complex. Yeah, I, you know, utility scale development in the solar space has about a you know two year if everything's smooth but it's typically more like three to four year lead time from the time you're yeah. finding a piece of land to the time you're delivering a product and generating right. power so you know and today people are out there developing those land positions and those interconnect positions to deliver exactly what we just talked about Right. The thing that keeps me up at night is the fact that they're out there contracting for these things that right. we today do not really know how to completely deliver in an end to end product. I think you're right. I think that the market and the market rules are ahead of the platforms and the operational data systems and the experience that we need in the industry. And we're going to have to catch up really quickly. I How do we get there? Well, it, you know, I hate to say this, but someone once said there's nothing new under the sun. And I think there's a lot of lessons learned. Even for us renewable guys, it's hard to humble ourselves from the fossil guys. The fossil generation has been doing this for 125 years. They know a lot about unit commit, economic dispatch, trading, settlement. Look to the IPPs, like my old company, Calpine. They, by the way, I found out they are the largest gas consumer in North, North America. They're doing this for 25, 30 years, right? So there's a lot, I would say you go out and frankly, poach some of the best talent out of these gas IPPs and bring them into the organization because they've been there, done that, they have the t-shirt and they can help us to accelerate because renewables will not get to where we want them to be, meaning to be a carbon-free or near-carbon-free grid until we can take on these services. We're obligated to do this. We say, hey, put solar everywhere, put wind everywhere. Are we ready to step up operationally and meet the challenge? It's a huge, uh, it's a huge maturation for our industry, Michael. And, People like you and me need to be pushing it because it's going to be tough and we need to take on the challenge and be ready for it. Quite yeah. frankly. To be clear for everybody listening and before the cancel culture jumps in, when we say fossil, we're not talking about the people, you know, 
I, I realize yeah. I'm getting yeah. older. Steve's a spring chicken. <laughs> We're talking about the fossil industry, not the people now. Don't get upset. Not the people. Not, not the people. The people. There's many, many, like many, many, many jobs out there. Exactly. Listen, we're running out of time. You and I can talk for days. Yeah, we could. Um, final thought. Next year is 2022. What must happen in 2022 to help move us along? Yeah, well, you kind of heard me say it along the way, is in this paradigm of this optimization pyramid, we need to make the next step. And you kind of have been bugging me about it for a while, Michael, and you're absolutely right. We need to be able to incorporate real-time operational data into our platforms and make it reliable, make it accessible, and make it meaningful for people like you who are out there on the front lines operating these assets. We haven't really done that as an industry yet. I'll tell you why. It's not easy. Yeah. It's a big financial commitment. It's a big R&D commitment. It's hard. It's hard. But we're up for the challenge. I say that's the next big step. Once we do that, we can layer on some more analytic complexity. But we got to kind of redo our core data infrastructure to meet the requirements of hybrid solar and wind storage or wind plants around the world. You guys going to get there next year? It's on our roadmap. I'm going to so, hold you to it. Okay. I'm going to hold you to it. Thank you. We need we need the pressure from our good customers. Thank you, Michael. Listen, you know, I'd love to talk to you longer, but we are out of time. Yeah, understood. Uh, Steve, I want to thank you for your time. You've been an incredible uh, force in the industry for, for years now. Good friend. You know, you are the godfather of uh, <laughs> performance monitoring, and I am happy to have you. You are a two, true, true power player in the industry. Thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. Thank, thank you so much for the kind words, Michael. Great to be with you today. Awesome. We'll see Take you soon. Bye-bye. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrigisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Orgis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.